to Eye on Horror, the official podcast of iHorror.com. This is episode 67, otherwise known as season four, episode 10. I am your host, James J. Edwards, and with me, as always, is your other host, Jacob Davison. How are you doing, Jacob? Doing good. It was my birthday. Yay. Are you still fully vaxxed? Yes, I am fully vaxxed and I had my birthday. It's the greatest gift of all. I'm just busting your chop on the fully vaxxed because we gave you a hard time last week. Uh, also with us yet again is your other other host, John Korea. What's going on, Korea? Dude, I'm tired. <laughs> so tired. You had a big night last night. I had a big day yesterday. <laughs> Not as big as Jacob. Jacob had his birthday weekend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why am I the tired one? It's your birthday weekend. We were we were expecting you to come in in rough shape, not me. Yeah, honestly, I'm just as surprised as you are. Uh, yeah, last night uh, I went to a private screening. Uh, it was supposed to be just two, but due to technical difficulties, it was alien. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry you had to settle for alien. Yeah, settle? I mean, that's an upgrade. <laughs> what is this, a birthday roast? <laughs> But yeah, no, just it, it, it was, it, and it is always a blast to see Alien on 35 millimeter. Is it safe to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Is your favorite movie of all time, Jaws? Yes, I would say, if not my absolute favorite, it's pretty high up there. So Jaws 2 might be above Alien. No. On your rankings of stuff no. to see. In, it isn't. Okay. That's interesting. I do love Jaws 2 in its own way, but Alien is Alien. Here's a question for, for both of you. Mm. Alien or aliens? Oh, the age old question. Well, at least 40 years old. <laughs> For me, it's alien. It depends on the mood, man. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm with, I'm you with know John. what I mean? It's, it's like, it's like, try, it's like, who do you like more, your mom or your dad? It's like, well, you know, like Ooh. one's, one's fun and one's going to help fix my car. You know, <laughs> if I need my car fixed, I need to call my mom. No, uh, <laughs> Uh, but but you know it, it's it's a mood you know uh, I feel for because they're both fantastic films but like Alien you got this beautiful of crafty and cosmic horror mixed with like claustrophobia and stuff and then Aliens is just balls to the wall it's badass it's got Bill Paxton yes I watched Twister again this week so I'm on a Paxton kick Lance Henriksen Lance Henriksen like that fucking cast dude Alien also has a pretty stacked cast too I mean. When we were watching it, we applauded the entire cast list because you got uh, Sigourney Weaver, uh, Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, Ian Holm, Yafet Koto, Veronica Cartwright, Monica Cartwright, and uh, Harry Dean Stanton. You leave him for last. Yeah, no, just all seven, all standouts. When Yafet Koto passed earlier this year, I was thinking, I'm like, you know, that's four Nostromo crew members we've lost in the last few years because mm -hmm. Harry Dean Stanton, Ian Holm, Yafet Koto, and John Hurt all passed within the last few years so yeah look both ways tom scarrett yeah and watch your cholesterol sigourney weaver <laughs> I, I know i've mentioned it before but have you guys watched the uh alien documentary memory origins of alien even if you don't like alien which who are you uh, <laughs> what's wrong with you who hurt you uh but it's it's an absolutely phenomenally made uh documentary that's real that's it's one of the few that really like get into like uh critical analysis so i respect the shit out of that doc cool i can tell you guys the reason i got vaccinated has come to fruition this last week i saw a quiet place part two in a theater it was a 25 percent capacity theater it was a press screening, although it was open to promo people, too, which we talked about last time. But um, mm -hmm. it was a, you know, 25 percent capacity theater. And it was awesome. I loved it. 
it's not quite as dependent on the silent sound gimmick as the other one, which is kind of good, I think, because that would have gotten really old. Um, the world opens up a lot more, so there's more opportunities for sound. And the theater they showed it to us in was a was a Dolby Atmos theater. So when the monsters Ooh. jump and land, your seat would like, you know, rattle. I'm like, really? In, in a quiet place, I'm doing this. <laughs> um, but also Melko, Marco Beltrami's score. Yeah. He went off. It's almost like he has something to prove because he did the score for the first one, too, which was much more minimal. And now he's like all. You know, it's like they, they took the reins off and then they're like, write some music. And he's like, say no more. Dude, that score would just come in and it's like, oh, I was not expecting something that intense. Yeah, that, I thought it was great. I'm not as big of a fan of the Quiet Place franchise as you, but I really I'm I'm a huge fan of world building. And so like the first movie where there's like a lot of those little moments like, oh, they're using soft piece you know felt pieces for monopoly and stuff that world building i thought was phenomenal but seeing how people who you really by by them leaving the valley you really got to see how much of a bubble they were living in in that valley because everyone else they're not trying to be quiet they're trying to weaponize sound to fuck over other humans with the monsters is what primarily everyone else was doing which was insane oh i haven't seen yet so careful on spoilers oh yeah you definitely don't want to spoil it we might have to do a spoilery bonus episode or something to talk once we've all seen it to talk about that last scene because i really 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 want to talk about that final scene but you can't without spoiling it and korea knows i mean he's nodding his head like oh yeah oh yeah it's uh it's it's just a master class of filmmaking krasinski's the real deal dude i mean i'm Mm. impressed with these guys who started in comedy you know jordan peele john krasinski who are able to make the and i know we've discussed before it's a similar timing but um man he's he knows what he's doing behind the camera. Yeah, I my my the main thing I I enjoyed the most was that um the the main focus of the film was on the daughter. Like cuz she oh, yeah. she was great. I thought the story there was absolutely phenomenal. It tied really well into a lot of the themes and uh uh with the relationship with the father uh really well from the first movie. The other two family mother members, I didn't really particularly care what was happening with them the mom and the son like it almost felt like you could have like kind of cut their storyline out and wouldn't have missed much i know what you're saying noah jupe was a little annoying the the boy the son little annoying (laughs) just just a little bit yeah but but if you think about it put into that situation at that age i would have been annoying too yeah i would have been annoying at this age in that situation <laughs> but that was one of the things is that it was just like it's not like they spent a lot of time with them you know the most of the focus was on the daughter and her journey and whatnot so that's great but uh yeah it's one thing i really respected uh you said with the quiet thing i really liked how they did shift the sound perspective of from characters through touch there was that they didn't overuse that gimmick too much, but I really dug how there would be the moments where we would go into her sound perspective and then someone would like grab her hand or something to start running and it would immediately shift sound focus. And Or what's fun about that is like the sound would be normal and then she'll take her hearing aid out 
And all of a sudden you're in her perspective. I mean, it's just really well done yeah. how they did things like that. Yeah. And I'll probably be seeing it tomorrow. Right on. So we, we could talk more about it in the yeah. future. Maybe we'll do a, a quick episode later in the week just to maybe mm-hmm. yeah. just to spoil it for people. And I can talk about that last scene. Yeah. <laughs> also, and this is a little less horror, but I think it still is going to be applicable. And I know uh, Korea saw it too. Cruella. Cruella is the reason why I'm fucking dead tired. (laughs) It's two hours and 15 minutes long. The screening screening started at 1130. Oh my gosh. With trailers and listen, I love Mission Tiki. Mission Tiki, I love you so much. Thank you for uh, being open for the past year but please stop showing that out of date covid video before each screening holy (laughs) crap it's so annoying um it's like 15 minutes long but yeah cruella so many opinions on that man so many opinions it's weird because it um someone was trolling the imdb i don't know if it's still like this but um the other day I looked at it was when I was writing my review for it. And I looked at the per- parents guide for Cruella and it said it's rated PG-13 and it said sex and nudity, none. OK, that's correct. But then it said violence and gore, severe profanity, severe alcohol, <laughs> drugs and smoking, severe frightening and intense scenes, severe. What movie did these people watch? Because that's not Cruella. Man, could you imagine if that film was like that? Though? <laughs> <laughs> it would have worked. It is. I mean. It is a villainous. And the thing is, the interesting thing is, yeah, it's it's one of the most iconic Disney villains, but she's not the villain in this movie. It's an origin story, and she's a pretty sympathetic character once you get rolling. Emma Thompson's character is more the villain. Yeah, she's she's kind of an anti-hero with like villainous tendencies more than anything. Because she's still a criminal, so she's not really... For lack of a better word, she's not really likable, although she is likable and she's sympathetic because it shows you why she is, how she is, which is cool. But what I love most about Cruella, every scene has this awesome note perfect needle drop. The soundtrack is incredible. And it's not just pick and pop songs. The music supervisor is the woman who did um, American Hustle, okay. um, which also had a bunch of note perfect needle drops in it as well. You know, they'll, one of the songs they put in towards the beginning is uh, the Rolling Stones, She's a Rainbow. And when they're playing that song, you're like, yeah, that's that's the perfect song for this point in the movie. And then later on, they do they drop. I want to be your dog and I won't spoil the context. <laughs> This is the best scene in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, it, it for the primary villain in 101 Dalmatians, you can kind of guess that there is context. Um, but that's another one of those note perfect. Yeah, and, and it's everything from the zombies to Blondie. I mean, there's not really mm. a specific genre that they drop from. But I mean, it's it's a music historian's dream. I really loved the uh, just the whole idea of this anarchist fashionista just like kind of be terrorizing this baroness that's the, that's the that's the movie and and i and i thought they executed those parts really well i really loved what they did they took these one dimensional stooges that she had in the original movies jasper and um horace and they and they really developed them which kind of makes it really sad because in the animated movie they're very one-dimensional and i think the live action too I, I'm, i'll admit i don't know my 101 dalmatians too well but like just thinking of these very well-rounded characters becoming one-dimensional goons later it's like what the fuck happened between this movie and that movie like did, did they get that demoralized and they kind of show that a little bit in this 
Um, there's a lot of camp in this movie, but I felt not enough. Because if you think about it, the whole concept, yeah, let's do an origin story for a woman who wants to murder uh, over a hundred puppies. <laughs> mm-hmm. That sounds like something like John Waters would have jokingly said in an interview in the 90s. And I'm not saying it needed to go full John Waters, but I needed I needed more flamboyant camp in that movie. Like, it, there was just enough. I will say the star of the film is Winky. He's this one-eyed, eye-patch-wearing chihuahua. And when that little fucker comes out in a rat <laughs> costume during one of the bits, he stole my heart. It does sound adorable. It's funny because the... And this happens in the first scene, and I'm not I'm still not going to spoil it, but it shows you basically the biggest formative part of her origin story in the first scene. And in particular, why she has a vendetta against Dalmatians. <laughs> and, and, and that's that's one of the things people are most like I we don't need to spoil it, but it's already been spoiled. Like that's all people are complaining about is like, oh, you're doing that with the Dalmatians. And like, you know, I, that's where I feel like the tone of camp could have it could the film could have really benefited because there's some really ridiculous things where if it was just a bit campier it would have been a lot of fun and would have kind of made more sense but i definitely was sitting there especially early in the movie just kind of being like stop trying to make the whole dalmatians thing happen in this movie (laughs) they played it very seriously i mean even the incident that we're talking about it's not played campily it's it's not played for camp it is it's very serious and it's actually kind of a horrifying scene and then they throw back to it towards the end and it kind of becomes a little more campy um because you're it's one of those oh come on you know the case (laughs) but the thing is you you mentioned the running time two hours and 14 minutes um i do think it felt a little long but i don't know what i would have taken out you know i i think it it was about 20 minutes too long but what 20 minutes would you take out i don't i can't think of any if anything i want I want it like it's like, yes, runtime. I was so I was. Yeah, it's long, but I wanted more. I wanted more Artie, especially because Artie's like there was a whole thing about Artie being like the first openly uh, queer uh, character in a Disney movie, which has been said dozens of times. Yeah, they keep point. on doing that. They keep doing it, but they didn't say anything that would make him open you know he was very flamboyant and stuff but like i wanted more of him he was he was a really interesting character and they had these great scenes where corella comes into a shop and they just kind of like get real sassy with each other and i was like yeah but that's all they did with him he he, she came into a shop twice they had a sassy exchange and then he would make some clothes and then he had like one other bit at the end and i'm like dude he had like five or seven minutes of screen time i wanted more arty because he was cool he had this like bowie look to him like spiders from mars era the only thing i think they could have shortened is um if they shortened some of the musical montages but like i said those are the best parts of the movie so don't take those out yeah all right we've talked enough about cruella considering (laughs) it's borderline i mean you can call it fringe horror because it is a genre it's yeah and and it's and it's a pretty important villain but what else have you guys been seeing? Well, I saw uh, the new Simon Barrett movie, Seance. Ah, how was that? I can't wait to see it. How was it? Oh, it was so much fun. Um, yeah, so it's basically your kind of uh, Girls Academy horror movie where it's about like this prestigious uh, Girls Academy where uh, there's like this local ghost story and one of the uh, preppy uh, girls 
dies under mysterious circumstances just as this new student played by uh, Suki Waterhouse comes in and like the uh, popular girls click is just uh, like bullying her and they start dying one by one and yeah they got to figure out uh, what's going on and this being Simon Barrett you know the guy who wrote You're Next and The Guest and this and his this is his uh, directorial debut you know he he does a really great job of subverting expectations and kind of uh uh messing with uh, like how you think the story is going to go or like what uh, or who the characters are there's a poster for séance that i love where it's um everybody's hands on the table mm-hmm. for a séance and one of the pairs of hands is our skeleton hands yeah skeleton that's, hands that's such a great poster for a movie like that so uh, yeah i can't wait to see it oh yeah i highly recommend it uh i saw um i got a screener for it it's coming out on shutter it'll probably hit shutter the day after this episode posts but the amusement park that lost george romero film yeah and uh, um, it is it's basically what happened is he was commissioned in 73. So this is the same year he did the crazies. So, you know, he wasn't quite a horror icon, but he definitely he had made Night of the Living Dead and he, you know, people knew what he was about. He was commissioned to make a movie about elder abuse by the Lutheran Society of Western Pennsylvania. So he makes this movie about an old man who goes to an amusement park and terrible things happen to this old man. And it's all a metaphor for life in general. Like he's going through metaphors of like how old people have to deal with nursing homes and hospitals and law enforcement and all. And it's, I mean, for 1973, it's pretty disturbing. It's pretty tame by today's standards. But then when you think about it, this was made as basically like a PSA. And it clearly, it seems like one of those films they would put on when you were in, I mean, I'm a little older than you guys, but movies they would put on in a classroom, you know, when the teacher wanted to doze off for 45 minutes. <laughs> so they put a film on it. Look, it seemed like one of those, um, it, and it even has like a at the beginning, the guys like, oh, the older people in the world, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it has like a like a prelude at the beginning. Um, it's clearly a, a made for TV PSA, only made for TV by George Romero. <laughs> <laughs> but it's real experimental and abstract. And um, it, it's short. It's only 52 minutes, clearly made to fit in an hour time slot on a TV, you know, on a TV station. But apparently when the Lutheran Society saw it, um, they never aired it <laughs> because they thought it was they thought it was a little too shocking. And I don't know what they thought they were going to get from George Romero, <laughs> but it's been shelved until um, a few years ago. Someone found a print and the uh, George A. Romero Foundation restored it and it's going on shutter. So you'll be able to see nice. it. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a pretty crazy, you know, I mean, if, if you're a Romero fan, it's kind of essential to see because you can see bits of his early movies, you know, bits of Martin and the crazies in it. But yeah, it's a it's a cool it's, it's almost like it, it seems like a lost student film of Romero's because it was also made in a shoestring budget with all volunteer actors and crew. So well, what else you guys been watching? Well, I've been watching a lot of non horror stuff, but I did get really into this video game. It, it, it's on discount, right? Well when we're recording, but it's called Night Trap. It's a remaster and reissue of this game that came out in 1993. It was one of the first uh, video games to use actual footage of people. What is it? FMV. FMV. Like the full motion video, like with live action actors. There you go, FMV, and it's uh, it's really cool. It's it's kind of like the original uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. So the whole plot it's weird. It's a B movie. You're basically involved in a B movie. Um, it's this group of kids that go to this house to party 
and there's a government uh, SWAT type team that are investigating because people are going missing around the house. And it turns out that the owners of the house are these toothless vampires with green glowing eyes. Wait, hold on. Toothless vampires? Yeah. Oh, dude, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting story, actually. They have to suck really hard, I think, to get blood out of you if you're a toothless vampire. So what they do is they ogulate blood out of people. So there's one scene where they they take one of the SWAT guys and they hang him up in a closet and they stick a needle in his neck and they uh, suck the blood out into wine bottles because originally the game was developed for Nintendo and Nintendo had this, I don't know if they still have this policy, but they had this policy where any violence is it that's in your video game had to be non replicable So that's why Mario jumps on Gooba's heads and stuff like that. So they couldn't have any violence happen in this horror game that uh, could be replicated by a kid. So that's why you have toothless vampires that, you know, and they have like a claw thing. It's these goofy guys in black suits. But the whole point of the game is you're in control of the security system of the house. So you're watching all this through uh, security cams and you can trigger traps to capture the ogulars is what the bad guys are called in it. Mm. And. So while you're like looking through this, this B movie is playing out complete with, you know, sorority girls in their in their night clothes dancing to music <laughs> with, you know, super it's super 80s. I think it was shot in like 87 or something like that. But it's it's really cool. And this reissue, they because it was originally came out on the Sega CD-ROM. So it was super pixelated, you know, really cheeky. They remastered it. So you get to see the actual footage in the game. The The layout is updated and looks better. It comes with special features so you can learn about the history of the game and the controversy because it was one of the main games that they focused on during the like 95 uh, Congress hearings about violence in video games. It was like that in Mortal Kombat. And they were saying like, this game promotes kids to murder and rape and it's like no the whole point of the game is to save people and it's because of this one scene where this girl gets captured by ogulars in a bathroom but there's no blood you don't get to see like anyone really die in it but like yeah it's it's a really interesting gem and it's a lot of fun i think like if you actually make it through to the end of the game it's like 25 minutes but there's all these scenes that are happening on and they really do a good job of like uh, making it so that you can re there's replay value. You know, they have like different interactions. You can play it on the original 93 interface or the 97 re-release or the updated 2017. I, I think I spent like seven bucks on it and it was worth every penny. So I was going to ask how replayable is it? If the, if the entire game is only like 25 minutes, can, can you do it multiple times and still have fun? Yeah, because there's there's a bunch of different scenes going on. If you go on YouTube, you can look up uh, people have taken the scenes from the game and like strung it together into like a, a, a like a somewhat coherent story. So you can watch it like a B movie and it is entertaining. It's super cheesy. It's a bit over the top. But like what they did is is pretty crazy. And like like I said, there's the special features. Uh, they have documentaries, interviews. They actually have um uh, if you get a perfect score, you can unlock a, a demo where they first tested out the technology and it was like a who broke into a safe uh, scenario. But it was like a similar formula where like you're using the security cams to watch people. They didn't have traps in that one, but uh, it was like scene of the crime, I think it's called. But I mean, if you can get it for under 10 bucks, it's totally worth it. It's on Switch. It's on PS4 and PC. Like ironic. It made it back onto onto Nintendo. Yeah. I, <laughs> and they said at the Congress hearings, Nintendo 
Nintendo's, you know, standards would never allow this type of game to be on it ever. And it's like, well, here we are. 25 years later. Yeah, it's, it's like I brought, it just said before, you know, pretty tame by today's standards. And it was pretty tame by them standards. It was just the fact that, like, these people at Congress are like, look at this video game where these guys in the, and, like, they're showing, like, the super pixelated thing. And it's like, all it shows is this, is this young co-ed getting grabbed with, like, a claw device around her neck and then being pulled off screen. <laughs> and they're like, this game is promoting. And they're putting it, like, next to shots of Mortal Kombat, where it's like, Mortal Kombat's violent and bloody but like this game is not it's, it's you're, you're just sitting there triggering traps i saw army of the dead at the drive-in last week cool at, at the drive-in it's 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 on it's on netflix now right correct yeah okay. it's a netflix thing um but it is showing in theaters or at, at the yeah it's at also least. showing in theaters um yeah i just uh you know i wasn't sure you know how many more times i'd be able well or you know like with with theaters reopening i wasn't sure how often i'd be able to go back to the drive-in so i figured why not and it actually was kind of a fun drive-in type of movie because it's very grindhouse-ish um it's a very over-the-top movie which of course you know it's a multi-million dollar Zack snyder film so you get what you pay for but i've uh, heard um and i haven't seen it but i've heard that the camera work is almost blurry um how did it look on a big screen not too bad uh, okay I wouldn't, wouldn't say it was blurry, uh, but I mean, that's kind of part of his aesthetic anyway. I mean, if you look at like Sucker Punch or Dawn of the Dead, they're almost um, soft focus in parts anyway. So it's kind of part of his aesthetic, I think. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, I mean, this this is pretty I mean, it was pretty fun. I mean, it was dumb, mindless fun because, uh, you know, you got Dave Batista and all these people pulling a heist in a zombie apocalyptic Las Vegas. Although I have to say probably my favorite part, and this has come up like the like the opening prologue, which is like 15 minutes long, is one of the most interesting parts of the movie because it shows you how the zombie apocalypse starts and like how it hits Vegas. And he does that thing. He kind of like what he did in Dawn of the Dead, where he, it's set to a... Um, I believe his name is Richard Cheese. You know, the lounge singer does covers of other music. People equals shit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So they did. So, yeah, it's another Richard Cheese style opening with the zombie apocalypse kicking off and just uh, nonstop violence and gore as uh, Las Vegas is overrun. And and that's and that's the best part is that that whole clip, uh, the whole prologue is free on YouTube. So you can just watch that. Did you say it's 15? one five or 15 minutes okay the movie's two and a half hours long i thought you said 50 at first like oh, no, five no, 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 no. minutes 15. i'm like oh that's a prologue <laughs> well i mean i would not be surprised but uh no no the uh prologue in this case is only 15 minutes long now the snyder cut has a 50 minute long prologue. oh i, I can only imagine <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, and the rest of the movie's okay. Um, I mean, yeah, just it, it just kind of drags in certain parts. It's like, uh, yeah, like when the like when they're fighting zombies, it's cool. It's just eh, there's a few bits where it's kind of meandering, and you know, just we're we're just here for the action. They did a similar thing for Dawn of the Dead. I remember when it came out in what was it, 2004. They released that opening scene ahead of the movie to sell it. I don't know if it was on YouTube or where it was but they did release that opening scene and people went nuts for it and that sold the movie because the opening scene did that dawn of the dead is incredible it's the best oh, yeah. part it's horrifying yeah classic it's a good part and then it goes into uh johnny cash's when the man comes around because i you know i gotta give 
Zack Snyder credit because he is a master of needle drops. He he really knows what kind of music to use and when to use it. It's very reliant on it. That is also true. Uh, like I'm not I'm not against Zack Snyder, but like I'm I don't get excited about it. But if I do end up watching Army of the Dead soon, it's for two reasons: Tig Notaro and Junkie XL score. Oh, yeah. No, those are two big factors. Tignataro scenes are some of the best, and uh, she always stands out. And, yeah, you know, just uh, just wanted to see something fun and, you know, something kind of grindhousey at the drive-in, and it kind of fit fit that i mean I, yeah that's the thing like i thought i thought the movie was okay but you know it was, it was fun to watch but i'm probably not going to rewatch it anytime soon although <laughs> that's the thing like they're trying to franchise it now like they're already making plans on like a sequel or spinoffs or something the navy of the dead <laughs> marines <laughs> of the dead <laughs> uh space force of the dead oh that's a good one instead of army of the dead dead the leggy of the dead <laughs> <laughs> the leggy you know, arm, leg. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. Okay, let's move so on. What's our uh, main topic? <laughs> yeah, we're. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to the topic. And this was inspired by the mid Middle East coast being overrun by how do you say it? Cicadas. Cicadas. Little cicadas. 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 How you say c- cicadas? These uh, th- those. Annoying bugs that sound like I've been hearing people complaining that burglar alarms in businesses are going off, but it's actually these damn bugs. Yeah. Um, so we started thinking about uh, our favorite creepy crawly movies. Well, because cicadas are intense because they 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 basically go into hibernation for years. Right. And then they just yep. come out in a giant apocalyptic swarm. Yeah, we're talking billions with a B. Like they fully just like aren't there for years. And all of a sudden they it's you're, there's just like billions of them and all they do is eat and fuck and then suddenly they're <laughs> gone again. And make noise, apparently. And leave uh billions of cicada sh- cicada sh- shells. Yeah. Have you seen those pictures of just like the like just wall to wall carpet of c- cicada shells from molting? It's it's insane. I remember when I was a kid, we were driving cross country, you know, family trip, fun times, uh, Korea vacation. But like, <laughs> I remember that was during a cicada season and we're going through like, you know, corn country and all of a sudden we just went through a swarm and I thought the truck was going to break down because it was just every it was it was worse than a hailstorm. It was insane. And then there was just like dead bug all over the car. It was yeah. Yep. And I mean, we're getting into summer, so the, this feels pretty timely because, you know, it's a buggy season. Yeah. That's going to be scarier than anything we discuss from here on out. But let's talk creepy crawly movies. What are your guys' favorites? Well, I got I got one to start. I want to start. OK, because uh, <laughs> uh, one of my favorites and is this is one of my favorite movies in general. Uh, Dario Argento's Phenomena, a.k.a. Creepers. Creepers. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and on a personal level, this is my favorite Dario Argento movie because uh, it's just his whole filmography in one movie. You got you got the giallo elements. You got the supernatural elements. You got animals. You got a girl's school. You got the goblin score. You know, it's just everything I could want in one Dario Argento movie. And yeah, no, they, oh yeah. And this, and this is heavy on the creepy crawlies. All right. You know, to the point that the American cut was called creepers. Uh, and yeah, so it's basically about Jennifer Connelly, whose character is actually named Jennifer, who goes to this uh, prestigious uh, Swiss girl school. And uh, there's a killer going around uh, uh, killing girls at the school and people in the Swiss Alps. Uh, but, 
she has a superpower. She has the ability to communicate with insects. So she teams up with uh, Donald Pleasance, who's this uh, wheelchair-bound entomologist, who's kind of like her Professor X. So it's like Carrie, except instead of telekinesis and throwing things around, she can just summon swarms of bugs whenever she's agitated. Like, there's this great scene where, like, all the other girls in the girls' school are just bullying the hell out of her and just, like, cornering her. And so she summons, like, a swarm of insects that shroud the school and there's this great kind of light lighted shot where like her hair blows back and all the other students are just freaked the fuck out uh yeah and is and and also this is the 80s so like there's no cg this is just like thousands and thousands of flies and insects are just thrown around when i was um growing up in the 70s there were a bunch of uh and by a bunch of there were probably two or three but to my you know little head there it was a bunch of killer bee movies and they were tv movies that would show on you know like abc or nbc this is even before vcrs so you know you'd watch these movies and i remember you know these i thought they were kind of far-fetched but then one day i was at the library at school and i was and i found a book on killer bees i'm like oh cool so i start reading it and all of a sudden it said this one line about at the rate they are traveling, the killer bees will reach the United States by 1990. And my blood ran cold. I'm like, oh, wait, these things are real. <laughs> I honestly thought that killer bees were a Hollywood invention. I didn't realize that, you know, Africanized bees were in South America working their way up. And I was terrified. Like it, that was my big phobia for probably the next 12 years was killer bees. You know, and I had like dreams where they would come over this hill that was by my house and I would all of a sudden see them coming and oh, horrifying. Yeah, no. And actually, that's the thing like that. The fear just kind of kept going because like when I was growing up, they also there was also a lot of buzz about uh, killer bees eventually spreading out for the, the United States. And I feel, yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that uh, was probably just overblown because, I mean, yeah, there were cases of killer bees in places, but they weren't nearly as invasive as uh, they were made out to be or they were easier to control because, yeah, like, yeah, I don't know, like there, there were news reports or like TV specials about like the killer bees are coming. Well, the fact that they called them the killer bees and not just Africanized honeybees says yeah. it all, you know, like, oh, yeah, you, you sensationalize it. It's probably a lot like, you know, because supposedly Jaws is based on a real story of a rogue shark who attacked a few people so all of a sudden you know people are afraid to go in the water it's like shark attacks are not that common no. killer bees are not that big of a threat but to my child mind you know i'd seen these couple of tv movies of killer bees attacking school buses and stuff and then when i find out they're real it scarred me. Funny enough, I was just reading a report the other day that cows kill more people each year than sharks. So think about that. That's why we need to eat every single cow out there. <laughs> yeah. That, if you don't eat the cows, the cows could eat you, Billy. Exactly. <laughs> now, uh, one of my favorites growing up uh, of creepy crawly movies is arachnophobia. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's one of those movies. Uh, it, I think it's that in Good Burger. I have to attribute to my person to my whole personality, just tone and everything. I think is it comes down to those two films. Uh, but Arachnophobia is just like one of the most pitch perfect horror comedies and the special effects that was like during that era where like Frank Darabont and Robert Zumekis and them were just like pushing the limits on practical and computer effects like mixing them together not being super reliant on one or the other but like 
Oh, top notch. John Goodman's absolutely phenomenal oh, and yeah. just being like the funniest, grossest. <laughs> oh, man, he's awesome as the exterminator. Oh, man. But then there's like some really genuine, like freaky scenes with like uh, when people are getting caught in webs and stuff like in like the shots of like the trees being covered in it. That's still like whenever I see that in real life, the trees covered in cobwebs. It just brings back that like terror of like, oh, no, here they come. Like and like the thing that still gr- just like really traumatized me was the uh, spider egg sack. You know, that just the horrible giant pulsing like pulsing. spider egg nest. Just oh, my God, that was just nightmare fuel. It's the pulsing that gets it. That makes it so much worse. <laughs> I have a friend who saw a arachnophobia in the theaters um, and she was on vacation visiting family in I, it was like rural Pennsylvania or maybe West Virginia somewhere up in that area and none of her family found arachnophobia scary because that was a Tuesday where they were from you know it wasn't even really <laughs> that big of a deal that all these spiders were around yeah. but um, if you're not used to that kind of thing spiders are the worst they're worse than killer bees yeah no like i used to visit um my uncle and like he lived in kind of a rural part of pennsylvania and yeah there were a lot of spiders (laughs) everywhere but spiders are needed you know spiders and bees they're so important to the ecosystem oh yeah make the honey and pollinate and spiders they eat the they eat the not so great creepy crawlies like (laughs) remember guys just be friendly to the bees and the and the spiders out there tarantulas they look scary but they're just they're just tiny puppies with lots of legs yeah i know i got friends who own pet tarantulas and they're they're nice as hell yeah a couple weeks ago i found a spider in my front yard who had a cockroach trapped in his web oh. and i i if i had seen his hand i would have high-fived him i'd be like <laughs> you keep doing that that's fucking <laughs> hardcore if you can keep killing cockroaches you can stay there as long as you want spider yeah buddy <laughs> speaking of cockroaches have you guys ever seen the nest oh yeah that's that's a wild one that one i i threw on i thought it was going to be a, like a fun background movie and it i got no work done that afternoon because that <laughs> movie it's so cheesy but it's so much fun and like wasn't there like a bit towards the end where it was like a half cockroach cockroach thing i just remember it being so goopy yeah a lot of goop effects (laughs) that that was a fun movie and that one made me like made my skin crawl just because like all the cockroaches and stuff like uh like that short in a creep show i was just gonna say speaking of half cockroach half people (laughs) that's that that one yeah they're creeping up on you that (laughs) which uh uh, personally i think is Uh, you know, it's always hard to pick one, but I think that might be my favorite uh, creep show short short in the movie. And because, you know, it's because it works at so many levels and it's George Romero. Uh, he co-wrote that story and he directed it. And it's yeah, it's E.G. Marshall as like this uh, agoraphobic, germaphobic, uh, racist, uh, rich dude who lives in like this uh, airtight condo or whatever. And like he's obsessed with germs and insects and like he refuses to leave his apartment, but it's slowly becoming encroached by uh, like just an endless wave of cockroaches and uh, like I, I listened to a, an interview with Romero and he was saying, you know, like that was, uh, you know, like a morality tale, you know, it was, uh, you yeah. know, it was his racism coming back to bite him because like he kept on going on and on about germs and insects, but it's actually, it, yeah, it was like Upson Pratt is just a racist asshole. Yeah, it was a not so subtle metaphor for racist views, uh, his, his oh, definitely. opinions on insects and stuff. 
Like that particular short in Creepshow, uh, the creeping up on you was just so, it really does get under your skin. It gets very uncomfortable <laughs> with what they do with the cockroaches, how many there were. And the effects were really cool. Like that whole bit where he's getting like uh, drowning in cockroaches is just such an uncomfortable scene. And then it just shows him and his body and you see one come out of his mouth and then they just start coming out of everything. And, and they were real cockroaches yeah. too. These, these were not CG yeah. Real cockroaches. This poor guy had to deal with that. Uh. Um, have you guys seen Phase Four? Oh, I love Phase Four. No. Phase Four. It's a. It's kind of like science fictiony, but um, there's like some cosmic event that made ants. It gives them like basically a universal hive mind. So ants start working together to take over the planet. And they could. Yeah, that, that's another crazy one because it's basically the heroes, if you want to call them that, are a couple of scientists in this, you know, bunker. And they can see what the ants are doing, but they can't do anything about it because it's being over. You know, they're trying to fight these ants, but, you know, they're losing. Yeah. It's, and it's like one of those very clinical 70s sci-fi type of movies where, you know, they're observing them and they kind of have a philosophical and moral debate on like whether they should kill them because, uh, you know, they could be. A, it, it looks like they're turning or evolving into a sentient species and. Yeah, no, it's, it's very enthralling and it's kind of trippy. It was directed by Saul Bass, who yeah. uh, made a, it was famous as a uh, poster artist. Yeah. Or title sequence designer for. Like, oh, right. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and yeah, it just, it's very hypnotic, especially because it has this really uh, trippy synth score for the entire movie. I actually got it on vinyl <laughs> and yeah, it's really good. Um but yeah, no, it's just, that's a thing. It's like it's they're not the ants don't look any different. They don't they're not bigger. And, you know, they're not given any really, uh, you know, defining physical, uh, you know, looks. But, you know, it's just these ants are really, really smart. And and like they they got like these towerist structures, like instead of ant hives, they got like skyscraper hives. And one of the scientists starts to go crazy because the idea of ants, uh, you know, out evolving humanity just kind of starts to drive him insane. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a feature length episode of The Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's there's a little moral to the story as well. Adding to cart. <laughs> Make sure you get the 70s one, though, because they remade it with Dean Kane in like what? 2002. Yeah. Oh, get make sure that you get the original, the Saul Bass one. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and back on cockroaches, you know, I was thinking back to, um, yeah, yeah. Kind of my own kind of kinder trauma. And the one I keep going back to in the 90s is Mimic from Guillermo del Toro. Because, man, that movie messed me up because, you know, it's like uh, this. OK, so like this new disease is being spread throughout uh, Manhattan by cockroaches. So in order to kill the cockroaches, uh, the, the scientists create a new species of insect that will hunt down and kill the other cockroaches but they only have like a shelf life of like 30 days or something but of course as these things tend to go science goes awry and the um insects the judas breed that they sent to kill the cockroaches evolves to a point where they start mimicking humans and guillermo del toro just re really knows how to i don't know like uh there's there's kind of like an almost a dark fantasy element to it because he also got this kid who starts following like one of one of the big bugs and and what really messed me up though is that you know Guillermo del Toro does not shy from killing off kids in his movies so like when I saw it I was pretty young and you know there's a scene where like these two kids who were like tracking down some of the remains of the bugs to sell to the scientists uh, they run into one 
And there's this horrible scene where uh, the Judas bug like kills one of the kids and like one of the other kids accidentally falls into a thing of barbed wire and like the just the bug descends on him. And you think, oh, he's got to get away or something. Right. And no, no, they do not get away. Oh, yeah. And that's one of those movies. It was uh, it was released by the Weinstein Company and they just like kind of chopped it to bits. So if you're going right. to seek out Mimic, seek out the director's cut. I think that's the only version on Blu-ray now, but. Uh, the director's cut really like makes it much more watchable. <laughs> now we're talking a lot about average size bugs, but what about giant bugs? Let's talk about them. The ultimate oh, nuclear, oh, yes. nuclear making things bigger than they should be. <laughs> well, I mean, next to Rampage, you know, Rampage. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to. I mean, yeah, Rampage, of course. Uh, <laughs> but them. Honestly, one of the scenes that really got to me from that movie um yeah, they did a uh, kind of classic horror marathon at the Egyptian a couple years back, and them was one of them. So I, I was it was cool. I got to see it on the big screen for the first time. Yeah, I was um, there too. But, it was a great. Series. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, but uh, just one of the scenes that got to me d- doesn't even involve the insects. It's like the army goes to this town and like everybody's dead or missing, and the only survivors like this girl who's so traumatized she's mute, and they. Like tried to interview her and she just freaks out and just and when they ask her like who who or what did it and she just screams them 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 so like that that was pretty effective especially for like a 50s uh big monster b movie yeah that that scream like as soon as you started saying it i could hear it in my head and it's one of those moments where like it could be hokey but the delivery is just so perfect it's kind of like the ending to the original fly when you yeah. have the half the fly size half top human bottom fly and he's stuck in the web and he starts going help me mm. and, like it's it's a bit hokey but just like how they do the sound design and stuff and how it's acted it's just it really gets under your skin oh exactly and uh the practical effects for the ants is actually pretty decent i mean yeah you can tell i mean it's not realistic but you know it's still a pretty good design because like it's just these big giant ants with giant chomping incisors that are just grabbing people up speaking of kinder trauma and giant uh giant creepy crawlies um this isn't a movie but um do, do you guys remember the episode of gilligan's island where they found the cave with the giant spider uh, uh no i was not aware of that <laughs> they find a cave with a giant spider and the giant spider is obviously a dude on his hands and knees you know, in like a spider costume that would run after them. But it's pretty terrifying for, you know, again, the same kid who was afraid of killer bees was afraid of this giant spider in the in the uh, Gilligan's Island cave. Gilligan's Island. Such a weird show. <laughs> it taught me to be afraid of quicksand, too, which is really yeah. nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> which, again, another 90s kid thing that we were kind of taught to be afraid of, but didn't really have any applicable use in real life. Yeah. What was up with all the quicksand? There's so much quicksand and so much 90s content. And like, that's just something I have never, that and algebra have never had to encounter in my adulthood, you know? Yeah. Quicksand, algebra and killer bees, all lies. Yeah. Quicksand, definitely. I think it was more of a plot device than anything else. They're like, you know, what's something that can keep someone trapped? (laughs) I know. (laughs) There you go. Quicksand. And in terms of giant, uh, insect movies uh there yeah there there were a bunch of those from like the 50s and 60s and a bunch of them were on mystery science theater 3000 which is how i ended up watching them like um actually it's funny at the beginning of the pandemic i watched um 
the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of uh, Beginning of the End by Bird Eye Gordon, who was so notorious for making movies about giant things that his his initials, you know, were he, he was referred to B.I.G. Yeah. Bird Eye Gordon. They called him Mr. Big. Mr. Big. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so like uh, Beginning of the End, you got giant killer uh locusts or manises and uh oh and there's the earth versus the spider uh that was that was a fun yeah. one did he do the giant gila monster um, was that him or was that someone else that one's hilarious because they use a normal size lizard and then they use like matchbox cars and model <laughs> yeah. trains yeah yeah like it, they just keep on having the uh, the giant Gila monster kick over uh, matchbox cars and is, and then they would do, they would pan to the car, like somebody in the car, but they'd like twist the camera around. So it looks like they're flipping over just like, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it totally looked like the kind of thing that some, you know, 12 year old kid who borrowed mom and dad's camcorder would make. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he did a bunch and yeah, like I said, a bunch of them were mystery science theater. So like, yeah, you got beginning of the end or versus a spider, uh, these weren't on Mr. Science Theater, but Empire of the Ants, the Food of the Gods, uh, Food of the Gods. That's is Food of the Gods. Uh, is that an ant one too? Uh, I think there were a few giant ants in there. Is that's the thing? There was like a bunch of different animals because I mean ants. Uh, or sorry, uh, rats mo- were pretty prominent, but I'm pretty sure there were also some giant ants or giant. Uh, beetles or something in there. I think food of the gods might have been rats. Actually, now that you say that, yeah, it's it's like rats. I remember the frogs. Uh, it's been a real long time since I've seen that one. Um, mm. Empire of ants. Uh, did you already say that one? Yeah, Empire of the ants. Yeah, that one is solid. Kingdom of the spiders. Oh, that yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, although that was uh, uh, Joe Bud Carlos. But yeah, yeah. No, that, I mean, you got William Shatter fighting an army of uh, spiders. No. I have a question. How many recent insect horror movies have been have been like this isn't something that is happens too often. And usually when it is, it's like very low budget or made sci fi channel was making a lot of them for. A oh, they were the 2000s. I remember that. Oh, actually, there was a good one that came out a few years back. Uh, it was Mike Mendes's Big Ass Spider. Yeah. Remember that? Big yeah. Ass Spider was a lot of fun. Yeah. And there was one even more recent than that. Itsy Bitsy. Which is another oh, yeah, spider one. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one was okay. I mean it was no big ass spider, but it was it was all right. True, yeah. true, true. Just yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like spiders will always be a perennial horror, you know, staple because people are scared of spiders. So, you know, big big spiders, small spiders, medium sized spiders, they're all scary. Yeah. I'm just curious as to what is it about like now that it's not as you know, it, it's it's not as big of a, like a commodity, you know, like I know definitely like during the time when they, them and all those others came out, a lot of that was more so just like the fear around like nuclear radiation yeah. and what it can do or fear the other, which is why we had like aliens coming in and making these things with some of them. But yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because yeah, actually uh, for my birthday, I watched uh, the Joe Dante movie uh, Madname. Yeah. And, you know, they and they have a whole kind of uh, subplot about that where, you know, uh, John Goodman plays, you know, bring up John Goodman again. He plays a William Castle stand in named Lawrence Woolsey, whose new movie is called Mance. Half man, half ants. Yeah. And yeah. It's just, and he, and he makes a direct connection between like people's fears about the cold war and 
you know, like his movie about radiation turning a guy into a half man, half ant, and then into a giant ant. It's just, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just, you know, people kind of uh, deal with their social anxieties through, you know, kind of a more colorful and uh, imaginative story. I think that the reason we don't see him today is they're not as much fun because they're not going to use a an actual sized Gila monster knocking over matchbox <laughs> cars. They're going to use CG and yeah. it's going to end yeah. up on the sci-fi channel or as an asylum movie. And it's not going to be, it's a different kind of fun. Right. But when you watch those old classic ones, like, um, like co- taking it back to phase four, the macro shots that were done by the same dude who did them in, I think it's called the Halstrom Chronicles or you know, they, they, another insect movie. Hmm. So you got, you know, these close up shots of real ants. You know, it, it's, they're not as creative now. You know, they'll have some kid in their basement doing the CGI, you know, and, and, and paying him seven bucks an hour to do it. But that's a different story. Uh, but I don't think that it's, they're not as much fun to watch now. Uh, and yeah, I think it's also just kind of a budgetary thing because, yeah, like you, you need a, for for that type of stuff, you need like a pretty big budget to make it look good. And I mean, there's definitely a lot of other ways you can do it. But yeah, just uh, it's it's a, it's a commitment. So like I just I just hope that they that we can like bring them back because like we're talking we're and we're embracing the hokiness of, you know, when insects fight back or when insects <laughs> come after man. But there's some like really effective stuff in there, like like with creep show and phenomena where there's like some really good like scares and social commentary that can be made. So I wonder if there's going to be a cycle where in the next like 10 years or so, we're going to be seeing a lot of really good high quality quality insect attack movies again whether it's hybrids or giant ones or just swarms you know yeah well i mean if uh the cicada cicada swarm is any indication i'm sure it's going to inspire something relatively soon (laughs) we did have a movie recently that uh had an entire town threatened by uh weaponized mosquitoes with barb and star go to vista del mar oh yeah yeah that's true that was a plot in that movie. <laughs> that was a big plot point. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie so much. That's my oh, most. Man, I got to rewatch it here. <laughs> yeah, so technically, uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar is a uh, insect horror movie. That is true. All right, well, let's get out of here. Uh, what are your favorites, faithful listeners of the creepy crawly movies? I know that we didn't have time to go too deep into it, but um, let us know what your favorites are. Our uh, theme song is by Restless Spirit. Restless Spirit had a band camp sale uh, Memorial Day weekend, which is, you know, in the past to you guys, but it's happening right now now for us. Um, So I hope you got something cool. Our artwork is by Chris Fisher. I don't know if he's selling anything this Memorial Day weekend like everyone else is. Everyone from Vinegar Syndrome to Ship to Shore. Yeah. It's like they know that I just got paid. That time of year. Yeah. Thank God I got that late fee on that one gig. Oof. (laughs) <laughs> you can find us uh at the ion horror facebook page the i horror facebook page uh the ion horror twitter instagram what else do we have korea well soon you won't be able to see us on stardust because stardust <laughs> that thing that we used to plug but kind of forgot about is now shutting down so. i was gonna say i had forgotten stardust existed until we found out it was shutting down <laughs> so did i and i was the one who was posting most on it uh for a minute there yep stardust we hardly remember ye <laughs> you were fun but fun while it lasted maybe we'll start doing that on instagram stories i feel like i had a start one of my few stardust interviews might have been for the first quiet place hmm. Hmm. might have been but anyway uh yeah so you can find us there um 
And uh, yeah, so let us know what your favorite creepy crawly movies are because these have been ours. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, so for me, James J. Edwards. I'm Jacob Davison. And I'm Jonathan Korea. Keep your eye on horror. 